Listen, many of you will know who Em is. Her and John and their beautiful kids have been part of this church community for a long time. I just wanted to give her the introduction that you so deserve, Em. We want to honour you here because Em is a leader in this environment, but she leads here and she leads in her workplace as well as a teacher. But she carries an incredible heart to see people set free, to give Jesus everything he won at the cross. So Em heads up our Freedom Course. Anyone has done the Freedom Course here? How impactful has it been? Good? Great. If you've not done the Freedom Course, do the Freedom Course because your life will be changed from it. And we love you. We love what you bring. And I want to set you up because I want, I want us to be expectant that we're going to receive an impartation from God this morning, that he's going to speak directly to our hearts. So let's pray together. Father, everything M brings to us this morning, God, would we have open ears, open hearts, and open minds? Jesus, we pray uh, for this word to change our lives in Jesus' name. Let's welcome him. Thank you so much, everyone. Good morning. What an honor to be here this morning. I'm so delighted to be sharing with you. Um, to extend that lovely introduction, thank you so much, San. What an encourager he is. You bring life to me. Um, I'm married to John, the lovely John, um, and I have been for nine years. We've got two kids together, Olivia, who's six, uh, Asaph, who's four, and they're not here today, actually. They are on an extra bonus holiday with my mum and dad down in Cambridge, which means that John and I got to do like an 8.5-mile walk yesterday. That like, never happens in our life anymore, and it was amazing. Um, We've just got back from holiday as well, actually. We've been um, to Spain. I've got a little holiday snap. Is, is, there, is there one that's coming up? Oh, look, our faces are really big. <laughs> I hadn't thought that through. Um, there we are in Spain. And this was an extra exciting holiday for us because uh, it's the first time as a family of four that we've been able to go abroad together. Now, don't get me wrong. I love putting up a tent in gale force winds as much as the next person. But... It was, about like, it was last year when we were in our tent, torrential rain, watching cars, I think, on the laptop that she couldn't really hear because of the rain. And I looked over at John, and I'm like, please, can we go abroad next year? Please, can we find a way? And we did, praise the Lord. We had a lovely time. And because it was our first time abroad as a family of four, there was extra excitement for this holiday. Um, and our kids were especially excited. You know, the plane and the airport, all that kind of thing. It's a different level to getting in the car to drive to Wales, isn't it? As much as I adore Wales. And, um, and that's genuine, I really do. But our, our friends, our lovely friends, bought Livy this little um, holiday countdown as part of her birthday present. It's cute, isn't it? We've got the best friends. And um, this has proven invaluable because I cannot tell you how many times our kids ask us the question, how many sleeps is it until our holiday? Because everything's counted in sleeps in their life. And, um, and so instead of us having to like, we'll try and work out again, or oh, it's this many days, uh, we can say, just go and check your little holiday countdown. And Livy was excellent at doing that. Um, and that worked for us really, really well. And it got me thinking, like, waiting for things that you know are going to happen and that you know are going to be good, what a luxury that is. Isn't that amazing to have that excitement of we're going to be doing something and we know it's this amount of days and part of the excitement is that countdown, isn't it? It doesn't mean it's always easy. So uh, a few weeks ago, my, um, 
my little girl, she had her end of term dance class where all the parents and families were invited to come and watch. 60 minutes of our lives is how long this dance class took. Asaph was there with us and we knew that he was not going to find this the most enjoyable 60 minutes of his life. So we'd brought toys and, you know, things to entertain him. We got into about a minute, minute 45, so we'd done pretty well. And he jo- he'd just had enough and ended up in this position. Have we got our next photo? There we go. And that's how we stayed for the final 15 minutes. And if there was any kind of thought bubble over that, he would have been thinking, when is this going to end? Because that 15 minutes, I think probably felt like some of the longest 15 minutes of his life. And, or this picture here. I swear that that five minutes, time slows down as a parent. If Asaph brings me an iPad that has that on it, one more time, oh, it's so frustrating. Time slows down, I'm sure. So it's not that waiting for time to pass is is easy, but we understand that there's an exchange, like have patience and get the reward in time. Like we're not born with that maturity, it's built into us, but we understood there's this exchange that goes on. What happens though, when we're waiting for something, where actually the end result isn't guaranteed, where we don't know the time scale, we don't know if what we're imagining or what we're hoping is going to quite be uh, come into fruition and come into our lives in the way that we want. That is hard, really hard. We had Danny Silk with us uh, last month and he spoke brilliantly on having dreams. Um, on on developing dreams, on having like a dream history with God almost. And and he shared with us that challenge that God gave him of of creating a a hundred, a list of a hundred dreams, of writing them down. I've had a go at that and I'm on about number seven. And that was a push, if I'm honest. Because it really, I I don't think I've been raised as someone in an earthly sense as a dreamer. Like, that's not really my upbringing. Like, it was a bit, my upbringing has been a bit more of a, like, what are you capable of in and of yourself? What can you achieve within and of yourself? And, And maybe a little bit along the way, I've somewhere picked up a sense of, like, don't hope and you won't be disappointed. I don't know where I've got that from. It's never been said to me, but somehow that was in my thinking. And I got to a couple of years ago, um, and I kind of had come to a point where I thought, gosh, I, I don't really have any dreams for my life. And as opposed to being something that I didn't really care about, all of a sudden that actually really bothered me. I'm like, what, what are the dreams that I have for my life, for my family's life, for my future, how my story might unfold? And what, what began then was, was a bit of a journey. I've, I've, I let, I'd talked to some people about it, and they provoked me with some really helpful questions. So asking God, like, God, what excited you the most when you created me? Asking myself, like, where do I come most alive? What do I enjoy? What am I good at? What am I gifted in? What am I anointed in? And it's a question that Lizette, actually, for those of you that were there, asked us a couple of weeks ago, God, what, what have you written on my life? It's that kind, of, that kind of set of questions. So as I pondered and grappled with those, and, and absolutely still am, new dreams began to be birthed in me, tiny seed form, some of them ridiculous, some of them, like, it, I don't even know what some of them are, but like teeny tiny things, there's that sense of, ah, oh, what's next? And with that came a sense of excitement. 
that co-authoring with Jesus of how my story might go on, like Mark was speaking about last week. That's exciting. There's an adventure in that. But the problem is, I found, is that I'm somebody who um, I like to get things done. I like to get things ticked off the tick list. And I like that to get done quickly, efficiently, and effectively as possible. That's kind of me in a nutshell. Which has its strengths in some areas, but, but isn't in this area. Because what quickly came was a frustration that the things that I was beginning to dream about, I wasn't even close. Nowhere near. That was really frustrating. And it didn't, my personality probably didn't um, quite help that. And as I was researching this um, and began to explore this topic, I came across this quote by a poet called W.H. Auden, who said this, To those who have envisioned their dreams and their hopes, however dimly, the time being is, in a sense, the most trying time of all. And that really uh, summarized where I was at. The time being, where I found myself, was really trying. Because I thought, oh, I've seen, I've seen these things I'm beginning to glimpse, but it's not my reality. And as I began to allow God to speak to me about this, once I got beyond you know, my frustration and disappointment and etc., um, I felt like God was saying, and I think this is for all of us today, for those that find ourselves in a time of waiting, if we cannot reject and despise the waiting time, we will find that he has great richness and productivity for us in this season of waiting to deepen our character, to strengthen who we are in him. There is richness to be found in the waiting time that cannot be found in other seasons of life. I truly believe that. And so, in the context then of, of hopes and dreams and desires that are yet to be realized, how do we wait well? And by way of a really long introduction, that is why, where I want us to go today. Like, how do we wait well? Is that okay with everyone? I'd like to pray. Jesus, we, um, we just thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here. Thank you, Jesus, that you have made a way for us to know you as Father, to know Heavenly Father, that we are sons and daughters, and that we have purposes and plans written on our lives. And I pray that right now, God, you would just open our hearts to receive what you have for us this morning. God, would you just um, cast away anything in my mind, in my planning that is not of you, and God, would it be your heart that we hear and we connect with this morning? Amen. That was probably more for my benefit than yours, but that's okay. <laughs> also, this table is nowhere near big enough for someone that wants to use paper. I feel like I'm having to like line it up. I like straight lines, so I feel like I'm having to line it up constantly. I'll try and stop messing with it. Um, uh, waiting is a theme that sits really prominently in the Bible really prominently. So in the Old Testament, you've got uh, Moses waited for Pharaoh to let God's people go. You've got Hannah waiting for a baby. We have Joseph waiting in a prison cell. And, and this is a tiny fraction of these small-scale stories of waiting that reflected the bigger narrative that Israel was in, that they were waiting on God to fulfill his promises. And he did. He sent Jesus. He sent the Deliverer. But I don't think God has stopped using stories of waiting to tell his story. Because actually, our, our waiting isn't over yet. 
Jesus is now sitting at the right hand of God. The New Testament describes Jesus as the ascended bridegroom who has gone from earth but one day will return. We, are, we know what we're waiting for this side of the cross. We're waiting for the return of Jesus. We're waiting for the new heaven and new earth that will eventually come as described in Revelation 21. We know what we're waiting for, but we still have our, like our Old Testament friends, we have our small-scale stories of waiting going on as well. Waiting for a husband, waiting for a wife, waiting for a baby, waiting for a home, waiting for a fulfilling job, waiting for a church building, waiting for a sense of what our role is in bringing heaven to earth, in living a life that's fulfilled by the potential marked on it, I think most of us are waiting for something. For some of us, what we're waiting for is in really sharp focus because what we've been waiting for has been, is painful and maybe we've been waiting for it for a long time, years, decades even. David was someone who was familiar with waiting. 1 Samuel 16 tells us of the time that David was anointed as king by Samuel. And he was he's thought to have been about um, 10 to 15 years old at the time. And it wasn't for another 15 to 20 years that he stepped into that, that anointing, into that calling. That's a long time to wait, isn't it? 15 to 20 years. And much of that time was spent on the run as a fugitive from King Saul. David knew what it was to wait. And Psalm 37 was a psalm that was written in David's later life. And it resembles a chapter of Proverbs in that the verses are quite complete in and of themselves. Um, it does, it's not a prayer. It's not a song of praise to God. It doesn't really contain any um, specifics about David's um, circumstances at that time. Rather, it's an expression of sound, practical wisdom and godliness from the lips of experience and age. So there's stuff for us to learn in here. And there's a small portion of this psalm I'd like us to look at this morning. Verses 3 to 7, I think it will come up on the screen behind me. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. And as I read these verses, it tells me that waiting isn't inactive. It's not me lying on the floor like Asaph, counting down the minutes, the hours, the days, the weeks, the months until something shifts. There's stuff for us to do. And I want to pull out five things, five things that I think can be found in this psalm of things that we can develop, that the waiting season allows us to develop in a way that no other season in our life can do, I believe. Are we ready? Five things. One, wait with trust. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. To understand how seasons of waiting can be some of the most profound seasons of our life, we need to understand that what God is after is our trust in him. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. So the kind of trust that we're talking about here is the kind that relies on God that puts our faith in him, that has confidence in him, that depends upon him, even when that flies in the face of what we see around us, even when that defies our understanding of what we see. 
Waiting gives us an opportunity to develop trust in the Lord to grow because it requires us to trust him at a deeper level. And I think we love the idea of trust, don't we? God, I trust in you. We sing it, we sing it all the time. And, and I don't mean that we don't mean it, but you know what? When trust is required, that is hard. Well, I find it hard anyway. Like that's not easy. And how I handle the waiting for an answered prayer or or promises fulfilled or dreams realized exposes where I'm placing my trust. So often I think we paint a picture of what that answered prayer will look like or what that promise fulfilled will look like or what that dream realized will look like. And significantly, we attach a timeline to it. And that's where I think we can get into a bit of a sticky spot because sometimes the things that we're hoping for, they go right past our timeline and that is when trust is required because all of a sudden we're not in control and we have an acute awareness that we're not in control. We have to be able to trust in the Lord and trust in his timing and we sung it this morning, you keep the promises you make, not one is delayed. Nothing is delayed. Our frustration at God's timing is never going to make him speed up. I really wish it would, but it doesn't. Nothing is delayed. But God, God isn't asking us to do this blindly. There is an invitation for us to know the one in who we place our trust, to know him as father, to know him as his, in his goodness, in his kindness, in his grace, that he is trustworthy. Incidentally, as I was preparing this, I felt uh, the prompting to share this, and this may only be relevant to a very f- small number of people. Or do you know what? Maybe it's only relevant to me, but it'll do me good hearing it, so it's okay. But I think sometimes a lack of trust can look like frustration at other people when you think that they are the gatekeepers to your dream. I found that hugely challenging. When you see other people and you think, if you just noticed me and gave me the opportunity that I think I should be having, then I can walk and step into the dreams that I have. And I felt God said this to me. It's not about being discovered by people. It is about being developed by him. That's what matters. Discovery by people might come, but we cannot be seeking that. We need to be seeking being developed, being matured in him. And that will only come as we choose to trust in him and trust in his ways and trust in his timing. Like I said, might only be for me, but it did me good. The second part of the verse three is, is dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. So dwelling in the land um, means to make home, to live. And if this isn't too tenuous a link, and I apologize if it is, um, but I wanted to say that trusting in God doesn't equal us doing nothing. We've got stuff to do. We can't just one day wake up and somehow hope that we'll be walking in our dreams. I don't think it works like that. I think God has given us resources that we get to work with. I don't mean striving. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. I don't mean striving. I mean having wisdom with Holy Spirit of what are the resources at my hand and how do I use them to help me build? So, for example, um, as part of these sort of little dreams that I feel like I'm developing with Jesus, um, I've realized it would be really helpful if I knew the Bible an awful lot better than I currently do. And so 
I don't think I'm going to wake up next week and all of a sudden I know the Bible off by heart and I understand what every theologian has ever written about it. That's ridiculous, right? Now, I don't mean I'm doing a theology like degree. I'm th- I don't mean that. But what I mean is that it's like, right, okay, I'm going, to buy a, I'm going to buy a journaling Bible that has space for me to write notes. I'm going to buy a commentary that my friend has recommended to me that gives me an overview of the Bible. I'm going to get myself along people who are way further ahead of me in this journey. I'm going to borrow books from them. I'm going to have conversation. I'm going to set aside dedicated time so that I can study. I do stuff. It's cost me money. It costs me time. It takes energy, but it's worth it. I started in Genesis because, you know, it sort of seemed like a sensible place to begin. And, um, and that was great. And then I, and then I suddenly thought, uh, what, which, where shall I go next? What shall I do next? So I, I went with, which book of the Bible do I have least understanding of? So I went with Revelation. So I've done Revelation. I finished that in Spain, which was brilliant. I've had so many brilliant conversations with John about that one. And um, not, uh, that's not an invitation for you to come and talk to me about Revelation. I'm not, I'm not quite at that point. Um, John probably is. <laughs> um, and, and I'm excited for where I'm going next in it. I don't know where it is next. I might think about that this afternoon. But it's exciting because I feel like I'm building to something. So I guess my question to you is, is what are the resources? If you find yourself in a time of waiting, what resources do you have at hand that you can get to work with? Wait with focus, secondly. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So what I mean by focus is that our attention is on the right thing. So what does it mean for us to delight ourselves in the Lord? To find happiness and contentment from God and to seek it in him. To consciously and deliberately direct our emotions towards him in the way that Paul and Silas did when they were thrown in that prison cell And instead of despairing, instead of moaning and complaining, what did they do? They prayed and they sung praises to God. They directed their emotions towards him. To choose to take joy and pleasure in God. That's what it means for us to delight ourselves in the Lord. And and it's from this place that he gives us the desires of our heart. And I, I think it's easy to misapply this verse. I think it's easy for us to gloss over the delight yourselves in the Lord part and to hone in on the, hey, God's going to give me whatever I want. And I'm not saying that to desire family, job, things is bad. No, of course it's not. And I'm not saying that God won't give us those things. Of course he will. But what I am saying is that the promise here is that as we delight in God, He gives us the very thing that our heart, the core of our being, in Hebrew thought, that's what the heart was, the core of the will, the core of our being. He gives us what we're wanting from in the very depths of who we are. And I'm convinced that as we choose to delight in him, actually the thing that we want in the very depths of who we are is more of him. So as we choose to delight in him, he gives us more of himself. And along with that is the good gifts that he has for us. But it's not because we're seeking the gift. I want us to be people, I want me to be a people who can say, how good is my God, even if he's not given me any of my dreams and my hopes, because my celebration is in him, not in what he can give me. Sometimes our waiting can be marked by painful longing or yearning, I think. 
the journey for John and I to have children it was easy compared to some, but, but not what we were anticipating. It was harder than we were expecting. And as the months went by and I wasn't pregnant and kept on going, the longing grew. Again and again it grew. Not very healthily for quite a long time, but then there was a shift. I'll tell you that story another time. And it became from a much healthier place. And I feel like God wants some of you to know this morning that if you are yearning, if, you're, if your waiting is marked by yearning and longing, that doesn't mean that you're not finding your contentment in him. It doesn't mean that you're not delighting in him. I don't think God ever promises that when we wait, it will be without pain. Sometimes it is. And we see it in the Bible. As people, people yearn and people wait, they cry out to God in desperation. And 2 Corinthians 1, I think, it talks about that God is a God of comfort. But God can only be that comfort to us if we actually bring ourselves to to him, as we bring our emotion to him and lay it before him and invite him to be that comforter. Yet at the same time, if we are so consumed by our longing, which I was for a number of months, actually it becomes our only focus and we become oblivious to what anything else God is doing in us or around us. And we miss the richness of that time if our only focus becomes on the thing that we're waiting for. I think there's, I think there's a better way, a healthier way for us than that. Thirdly, wait with hope. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. The verb to commit is a word that holds two meanings in Hebrew. I don't know if you're interested in this kind of thing. I am, and I have the microphone, so let's go. So to commit, the first meaning is to roll towards. So it's that sense of carrying a burden, you take it off, and you roll it towards the Lord. It's quite a cool picture, isn't it? The second meaning of commit means to confide in, to share with, to have a conversation with, to speak to God about our desires, our plans and our hopes, inviting him into that process. And God gives us so much freedom to hope and to dream. I love what Mark was saying last week, that we are co-authoring with Jesus. We're not trying to learn a script that's a bit of a mystery and we somehow need to get it perfectly right. We co-author with Jesus the story that our lives are going to follow. God wants to be a part of that conversation. He wants to be there, but he doesn't want that to be a burden for us to carry. We have these dreams, and if they become feel like they're pulling us down and causing us to be weary, and and that burden, we roll it towards him. We commit it to him. I love that picture. Romans 8 holds that well-known promise, doesn't it? In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And another often quoted one, Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper and not to harm, plans to bring you a hope and a future. I find such comfort in those promises. And actually it means that as we commit our plans to him, I think that gives us such hope in that process because of those promises and the many, many others that are like it. Not hope is in a, oh, I vaguely wish that X, Y, Z is going to happen. That's not what I mean. Rather, having an excited, joyful anticipation that something significant and good is coming my way. It might not be what I'm expecting. 
It might not be what I'm imagining. I might not know the time scale, but I stand my ground that God has got good things for my life that I can walk in. I think waiting with hope changes the dynamic of this narrative entirely because it means that we can have anticipation and excitement in the waiting, knowing that good things are coming our way. Hope brings joy to this process. And actually, I read a, um, you know, uh, on Instagram, you get these like pithy comments, don't you, from various speakers, and you think, wow, that's amazing, they're so full of wisdom. Um, Chris Valentin said this that I saw last night, and this kind of sums it up very well. There is just as much joy available in the process as there is in a dream fulfilled, because Jesus is in both. Isn't that brilliant? Jesus is in both. It's not like we need to wait until we've got to this point over there, whatever this point over there means to you, until we can suddenly start living. Life is here now because Jesus is in it now. And there is joy now and hope now. Thanks, Joy. Appreciate that. And all of a sudden, so me and my little Bible journey, it meant that... um, as opposed to initially starting out feeling quite frustrated that I wasn't where I wanted to be, all of a sudden, actually the process starts to become the outworking of the promise and I'm enjoying the moment that I'm in. Like genuinely, I can't wait to discover which book of the Bible I'm gonna be studying next. There's joy now in that process, there's purpose in it now. And I don't really know where it's gonna lead and I don't know if it's gonna go in the way that I'm beginning to imagine it might go, but that's okay because I'm knowing the joy and the benefit of it right now. And I think it'll be a benefit that's beyond me, but I sort of, in a way, I sort of don't really care anymore because I'm just loving this bit. That's what I think hope does for us. Fourthly, wait with peace. Be still before the Lord, verse seven says. So the Hebrew word here of be still means to be silent without murmur. And it's also sometimes translated as rest. And elsewhere in this psalm, David repeatedly uses the phrase, um, fret not, in reference to seeing those prosper around him. And I feel like this direction here of be still is directly addressing that tendency in us as people to fret. And I don't know about you, but um, I find it quite easy to worry. Actually, John doesn't, but I do. I find it, and my imagination can easily partner with fear and I begin to imagine worst case scenarios that haven't even happened. Do you ever do that? Okay, it's not just me. I mean, I don't want you to do that. But, um, and an example of this is about a year ago, Livy, um, so our six-year-old, she had a routine eye test at school and it became apparent that her brain wasn't using her right eye properly, it wasn't functioning properly. And and the optic nerve wasn't regenerating in the way that it should because her brain wasn't using it in the right way. I don't really understand the technicality, but it's something along those lines. And and the treatment for this is is long. It's uh, wearing an eye patch that covers the strong eye so that the brain can um, strengthen the optic nerve to to the weaker eye and, and kind of force it into action, basically. It takes many months to work. And when we first got this diagnosis, in the way that probably most of us do, I went home and I Googled it, and I found that in its most um, severe forms, it can lead to blindness. And instantly, that's where my imagination was. Instantly. I I couldn't catch it. 
like taking thoughts captive. I'm a big believer in that, but that escaped me this time. And fear entered. What would life look like for my six-year-old who can't see out of one eye? It's not even happened yet. Like genuinely, I feel emotional right now. It's not even the reality. And um, I felt God say to me very clearly, Emma, come before me and be still. Now, I find being still before the Lord pretty difficult at the best of times. But like when there was um, this very clear concern, anxiety, fear, sitting like right there, right in my vision, being able to still that imagination, to still that fear, to still that anxiety took enormous effort. But do you know what happened when it did? It's that beautiful exchange that Andy was singing about this morning. As I cast my anxiety onto him, his immeasurable peace was able to enter. That peace that Paul talks about as transcending our understanding, as guarding our hearts and guarding our minds. And that's what I felt. It was like this garrison coming down on my mind that prevented this imagination from either growing and it got it out. And it meant it completely transformed the period of waiting that we were about to embark upon with Livy because instead of it being one marked by fear that as a parent I need to sort of try and get a handle on internally and project something different onto my child, I could genuinely approach it from a place of confident hope and peace. That I could encourage her on this journey to keep on going from a place of peace, that I could pray for her, that she, her optic nerve would be healed, whether that's through um, the supernatural or whether that is through medical intervention. I sort of didn't really care. But I could partner with that and pray for that from a place of peace. And you know what, Livy taught me a thing or two about this because in the, in the kind of earlier time in this process, we were driving home from one of our hospital appointments. We just found out she'd need to be wearing an eye patch for six hours a day, which I'll tell you was really hard work. Um, and as we were driving home and I was sort of need, wanting to speak to John, but I didn't want to call him because I knew I would cry and didn't want to do that in front of Livy. Livy, um, we were just talking about it and she just said, Mommy, it's going to be all right. Jesus is with me. She can give two hoots, genuinely. And you, she knew it. It's going to be fine. Jesus is with me. Whatever happens. Isn't that amazing? She taught me something. I felt like God was saying, yeah, see, that be still thing. Your six-year-old has it. <laughs> peace is a gift. It's available to us. If you're needing peace this morning, it's here for you. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Finally, wait with patience. Wait patiently for him. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Done. Um, no, I do have something to say on patience. Wait patiently for him. Patience is a muscle that is strengthened in this time of waiting. You see, God is passionate about our growth. He's intentional and deliberate in growing us to be the mature people who are firmly rooted in him that we are. And James 1.4 says this, and this is an amazing verse, let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Lacking nothing. So God uses patience to complete us so that we lack nothing. That's amazing, isn't it? I read a definition of patience being this, a defiant perseverance and endurance without complaining or, or worrying, leading to a kind of courageousness. Patience is so worth pursuing. Underrated, I think, in this culture, but so worth pursuing. So partnering with patience allows trust to go, grow, allows hope to grow, 
allows our focus to, on, to be on him, allows peace to come if we're patient in the time that we're in. So worth pursuing. So let's pull this together. I can see that I'm out of time. I firmly believe that if we can be people who, who wait well, it's in these seasons of waiting that God can actually do some of his most transformative work in us so that we are mature in him. That's the goal here, maturity in him, so that we can walk this earth, bringing heaven to earth, showing the love of God, speaking kindness, showing grace, extending generosity, because we know who we are in him and we know who God is. It's not a wasted season. I believe that. I genuinely did. That waiting was a waste of time. It's just not true. If we choose to partner with the season and we choose to not reject it or despise it, there is richness to be found in it. So I hope that brings some encouragement to you today. If you find yourself in a season of waiting, I hope you feel encouraged. Would you be able to stand with me? I'd love to pray with us. If you're on prayer or prophetic this morning, would you be able to um, come on out, make yourselves available? That would be wonderful. Thank you. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for this time this morning. And God, I just thank you so much that you are so interested in us walking in the potential that you have marked on our lives. You are so interested in our maturity. You are so interested in deepening our character, of revealing who you are through us. And God, we say yes. We want to be that people. And God, I pray that for those of us that find ourselves waiting this morning, for whatever that might be, God, would you come and bring fresh hope, fresh vision, fresh peace, fresh patience into that journey. Help us, God, to know what it is to cast our anxiety onto you and receive your peace in return. Receive your hope in return. And I really felt as I was preparing this that um, God especially had it on his heart that for those of you that feel a sense of hopelessness in your, in your life right now, that God has, is wanting to, to breathe in his hope to you. He is the God of hope. Good things are coming your way. He is a God with good gifts. He is a father with good gifts. He knows the plan for your life, to prosper, to not harm. So I just really encourage you this morning, if, if anything has resonated with you this morning, or if that part about feeling hopeless where you're at right now, please come and um, get one of these lovely guys over here to come and pray with you. Come and find me afterwards. I'll, I'd love to pray with you as well. And I hope that blesses you this morning. Amen.